0: You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It's good to be back at Foothills Church. I missed you guys last week. We had a great trip in Africa, and I'll share that more in the future. But um, I'm really, really excited about what we as a church are going to be able to do in the future. Uh, today's our last sermon in the Think series. And so if you want to grab your Bibles, you can start turning to Philippians chapter 2. That's where we're going to be. And as you're turning there, uh, we've got a great resource that we would love for you guys to use. It's a it's called A Think Different Guide, and it's a little booklet that we've used and put together uh, f- to, to really help you uh, begin to flesh out all the concepts we've been talking about over the last five weeks. And uh, it's a, a year-long uh, book that really helps you every month to, to come back to your habits, to come back to some of your goals and to really help you through accountability uh, to accomplish the things that you feel like God has led you to. And those are in the bookstore. I think um, uh, you'll order those today. They're only five bucks, but uh, if you want to go in there, uh, place your order today and then we can get them in here by next Sunday. Uh, We're going to use them in our small groups as well. So if you're in a small group, uh, we'll be coming to those and and talking through those uh, over the next several months as well. Uh, So We've been in this series for five weeks now. This is our fifth uh, sermon, and and man, I I feel like I have grown and begun to think a little bit differently as I've uh, taught through this stuff and and thought through these things. And and maybe you're new. I want to recap real quickly kind of where we've been. The first week, I started with Proverbs 23, 7, which says, As a person thinks in his heart, so he is as we think in our heart, as we think that's who we become. And so that's really the premise of the series, like how we think determines how we live. It's so important that we grasp this concept. It's so important that we understand how we're thinking, what are our habits of thought and, and, and where our mind goes so that we can in fact take every thought captive that's what we learn in Scripture, to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And, and to set our mind on the Spirit, to set our mind on eternal things, because so often we just set our mind on the temporary things, the, the small, silly things that really don't matter in five years, ten years, uh, let alone eternity. And so um, week two, I said, in order for, for change to happen, you've got to think different. Nothing changes until you think Different, And so uh, it's so important that we see the Scripture, set our mind on the Spirit, set our mind on our identity in Christ. So we saw that the, the, the Scripture points us to be proactive, to be intentional about where our thought life goes. And, and so we have to spend some time actually thinking and, and slow down and carve out some space to think about God's Word, think about what He's doing in our life. The third week, I said, it's often the small habits um, in our life, that uh, result in the big results that everybody wants. So it's those small habits of of discipline in our life that create these big results that everybody wants. We see, you know, this great marriage, or we see success, or so we see these great things, and we think, "Man, I want that!" But inevitably, after every great result, there were a series of smaller habits in that person's life, and, and that takes discipline. And discipline is simply choosing between what we want now and what we want most. Right now, I really want a few scoops of ice cream. I'm just going to be honest with you. I know it's early, but I still want that. But what I want most is perhaps, you know, a healthy, uh, in shape, you know, no heart attack body, right? And so what I want most is out there and I can't really grasp it, but I can see it and I can visualize it. And so what I want most is gonna trump what I want right now in my flesh. And that's what discipline is all about. So we saw the scripture that told us to train like an athlete, that told us to have discipline like an athlete, spiritually speaking, and and allow the spirit of God to change us and to grow us through those small uh, disciplines in our life. Last Sunday, uh, Pastor Brant talked about the power of community. And so community is so huge. Because anytime you want to to see lasting change in your life, you need accountability. You need people in your life to help you accomplish that. It's one of the reasons why every single one of us, every single new year, every time we try to get in shape or whatever, we start, we're good for a couple of weeks and then we fail. One of the biggest secrets about really truly overcoming that is to do it within community, to do it with somebody to hold you accountable, to do it with somebody that that you can grow together and encourage each other and bless each other through those experiences. Well, today I want to talk about uh, this simple fact you've heard us say it over and over again um, and and really begin to look at how Jesus thought so that we can begin to live like he lived. Uh, The title of the sermon is Great People Think great. And so if I want to think great, if I want to be a great thinker, uh, that's going to lead me to a great life but ultimately it boils down to how Jesus thought and and, and how the scripture teaches us um, his mind worked and so I I looked up did some research and I was looking for the greatest thinker of all time and so as I was going through you know different things and studying different things I I found a couple of lists and and one of the lists was um, pretty interesting the first person on the list was uh, Leonardo da Vinci and so I thought, well, that was interesting. I don't know a whole lot about that guy, but kind of look at some of the other ones. And Socrates and Plato are on there. Thomas Edison is on there. Um, You've got so many people on the list that, you know, you'll represent. Stephen Hawking's that new movie just came out. He was on the list. And, and then like on page three, we get to Jesus. And I was like, well, I mean, at least he's on the list. But it also reveals to us how our culture kind of views him. Because in a lot of ways, culture doesn't see Jesus as an intelligent man or an extremely smart person. They just see him as a religious guy who was a good person, maybe had some influence in his life, but but not really a bright, intelligent man. He's just a carpenter, just an ordinary guy. But when you read the Bible, you just see how great of a thinker Jesus is, how smart he is in conversations, how he weaves through questions and how he responds, you just Really see how amazingly intelligent and bright he is. Well, obviously he was the God man. And when I read this, on one level I'm encouraged and I'm inspired. And then on another level I think, well, you know, as a follower of Jesus, I just don't think I can do it. I can't live like he lived. I mean, I'm never going to be as filled with generosity as he did, as he was. And I'm never going to be, you know, as filled with the Spirit as he was. And I'm never going to be able to do what he did just because of, because he was just so different. And it can be a little overwhelming. But then I read in the Bible that we're called to, to act like Jesus. We're called to live like Jesus. We're called to serve like Jesus. And so, if that's the case, if that's what we're called to do, then then inevitably what I want you to see today is that if we're going to do that, if we're going to live like him, act like him, talk like him, it first starts with figuring out how he thought. What's his mind like? What, what, what really makes him tick? And and I think that as we begin to see those answers and, and, and begin to see how he thought, then we can begin to live like he lived. And, and I know some of you are probably in the room and you're like, man, I've tried the Christianity thing and man, I'm trying and I'm here. So, I mean, you know, give me a fist bump for being here. But I, I, just, I, I just feel like I fail so often. I don't feel like I completely get it. I don't feel like I'm, I'm tracking well enough with, with God. And so I try some things, my behavior changes, but then I fall back into it. Dude, you don't even know what I did Friday night and now I'm here and I feel bad and, and here I am. And, 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 and I'm here to tell you that the, luckily the scripture teaches us how to overcome this and how to deal with this. And, and there's so many places we could turn to, but I wanna go to uh, Philippians chapter two uh, to really experience the mind of Jesus, to really see What made him tick? How did he think? What did he think about? And and, and how did those thoughts cause him to move and to, to change things and to live his life? I think it's gonna be an encouraging passage of scripture today. If you think like Jesus thought, you will live like Jesus lived. So how did he think? Well, let's start in chapter two, verse one. Hold your Bibles open. We're gonna go through the first 11 verses eventually today. It starts off like this. He says, so, there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. So he starts here and he says, look, if there's any encouragement, any love, any comfort, if if there's any affection, any sympathy, if you've got any participation in the Spirit, I want you to have the same mind. Now, what he's saying is, basically is, is look, if you wanna live the Christian lifestyle at all, if you have any desire to partner with the Holy Spirit, if you have any desire to figure out God's purpose in your life, any desire to be a part of a local church, any desire to share the same compassion and love for the world that that Christ loves the world, here's what I want you to do. If that's on your radar screen at all, and I would say because you're here today, it's at least somewhere on your radar screen. Like you, you, you think about it a little bit, at least, some of you, a lot. And so here's what he says, I want you to do. I want you to have the same mind. I want you to have the same mind. And then he says, I want you to have the same love. I want you to being in full accord. And I want you to have one mind. So some of your translations might might say the same mind or, or the mind of Christ. Some of your, your translations will, will say in the next uh, phrase, to to have the attitude of Christ so, so here's what he means here. The, the word for the, the same mind or, or like-mindedness is the word for neo. And it just simply means to have the same affections, to think alike, to have the same mind, to, to, to be united with that one purpose and, and to think together. And so he says, I want you to have this same mind. Well, what mind? What is he talking about? Well, he unravels this a little bit further in verse three. He says, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind. Here's the mind. He says, I want you to have the same mind. And here's the mind that he's talking about. Among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, he says, I want you to have the mind of Christ. In other words, I want you to think like Jesus thought. I want you to have the same attitude as Jesus. That's how some of your translations will will translate the NIV. I want you to think like he thought. I want you to have the mind of Christ. I want you to have, have the attitude of Christ. And so I read this and I'm like, do nothing out of rivalry. Oh man, let each of you not look only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. I mean, I mean, if I be honest with you, most of the decisions I'm gonna make today are based on what I want. Most of the things I'm gonna decide to do, you know, my flesh is gonna rise up and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do things that are in my interest, not in somebody else's interest. I mean, that's my selfishness taken over. And so I've got to defeat that selfishness in me. He says, I want you to have the mind of Christ who put others first, who thought of other people before he made decisions. He thought how his decisions would impact other people. Most of us don't think about that. We just make decisions. And we just do whatever we think is good for us and best for us and it's going to help our kids out and help our family. And and we don't really consider extended family. Sometimes we don't even consider spouses and kids. We don't don't really consider what people at work, how that's going to impact them or affect them. We're just going and doing whatever we feel like is going to be good for us. And he says, I want you to have the mind of Christ who put other people first in his life. Have the same attitude. Now, attitude is huge. I mean, Having a good attitude it, it will, will, will change the trajectory of your life. Your attitude today is a small thing, but it has huge, huge implications in your life. How many of you would say that you love hanging around people who have a negative, critical, you know, negative Nancy type attitude? Anybody would say, I really enjoy those people? Nobody. Obviously, we see those people at work. We might be walking right at them. We see them and we're like, oh, hello, we're going this way, Right? And we totally avoid them, you know, because nobody wants to be around that person. It's, it's kind of like this. Let's, let's talk about attitude for a second. So if I've got a bad attitude, you know, I might say uh, I may not be the sharpest crown in the box. Okay, I'm not that smart. Um, and when I graduated high school, I graduated in the lower half of the class, you know, and you've probably heard people say that or you, maybe you think that about yourself. But if you kind of flip it and have a good attitude, you could say, you know what? I graduated in the half of the class that made the top of the class possible, you know? It's like a ninja, I just reversed it, right? Just reversed it on you. And so I'm, I'm having a good attitude. You can be like the kid who was in the backyard and, and uh, he had a baseball bat and a ball and he said, I'm the greatest batter of all time. I'm the greatest hitter of all time. And he threw up the ball and he swung and he whiffed. And he said, I'm the greatest batter, I'm the greatest hitter of all time. And he picked up the ball again and he threw it up and he whiffed and he laughed and he said, ha ha ha, I'm the greatest Hitter of all time and for a third time he threw it up and he swung and he whiffed and he went oh, I'm also the greatest pitcher who ever lived because I struck out the greatest batter who ever lived right I mean that's a good attitude and, and so in the scripture we're called to have the attitude of Christ and that's what it means to be like-minded with Christ or to have the mind of Christ to be of the same mind Here's a a point that I want you to write down today. Your attitude is a collaboration of your mental habits. Write that down and chew on it this afternoon. Your attitude is a collaboration. It's the sum total of all of your mental habits. So we all have habits and we've been talking about habits. You might have some good habits. You might have some bad habits. The great news about habits today is you can break bad habits and you can start new habits. Okay, so no no matter where you're at, you know, what you want to get rid of, no matter what you want to start, you can break those things. We talked about the habit loop and how to create that. And, 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 and so I want to encourage you on that, but also become aware that my habits mentally are affecting my attitude. So if, I, if my habit on Sunday night is to dread Monday morning, that's a mental habit that you have you know? And so if you're dreading Monday, you're dreading Monday, I got to go back, I got to go back, and you're allowing yourself to think that way and, and go that way, then you're allowing that mental habit to enslave you. And what that does as it, as, as, as that and other mental habits that you have, they collaborate and that's going to make and determine your attitude, you know, on Sunday night and on Monday morning when you wake up, you're going to be crabby and cranky and, and you're going to, you know, be hating life. I got to go to work, that gonna, blah, blah, blah. It's cold outside and you're going to see everything in life as the glass half full. And he says, "I want you to have the mind of Christ. I want you to have the attitude of Christ, put other people's needs ahead of yours, put other people and consider them more than yourself. So I want you to understand this," he says. And so the verse doesn't just say, "Have a positive attitude. I want you to have a positive attitude, and you know you're going to be successful. It's not like this self-help, you know, kind of um, um, wording here. What he says is, I want you to have the mind of Jesus. I want you to have the attitude that Jesus had, that he expressed, that he lived through. And, and this is the component of living like Jesus lived that I want us to fo- uh, uh, really begin to focus on this morning. In verse six, let's continue. Here's what the mind of Christ or the attitude of Christ looked like. It says, "Who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God, a thing to be grasped. He made, him, he, he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being found in the likeness of men. Let's just stop there. So if you're taking notes, he was in the form of God, but he did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. Here's what Jesus understood. Here's what grasping the mind of, of Christ looks like. You see, pleasing God isn't about elevating yourself it's about abandoning yourself. Here's Jesus. He, he could have counted equality with, with God as something to be grasped. He deserved that. He was the God-man. He was the son of God. He, he is a fully man, but he was fully God. He leaves heaven. He leaves his throne to become a man to live among us. And at any moment, he had every right to pull the God card and say, I'm telling you to do it because I said so. I'm God. Thank you very much. Go do it. Don't ask questions. Get out of my way. I'm God. By the way, you're dead, and you're dead because I don't like you. And he could have done whatever he wanted to do, he was God but he never pulled the God card. He, he, here's what he does. In order to please God, here's how we have, have to begin to think. Instead of elevating ourselves, we have to abandon ourselves. And here's what we read in scripture. When we begin to abandon ourselves, this is the paradox that blows our mind because we don't get it. As we begin to abandon our selfish nature, as we begin to abandon what we want, abandon our plan, abandon our, pl- our, our will, and begin to embrace the will of God, to put others first, to begin to serve other people. As we do that, we are thinking like Jesus thought and then we begin to live like Jesus lived and then the blessing of God, the joy of God is the result. And we think in order to get what we want and to experience happiness, we have to be first in line. We have to be first. We have to get ours. We have to go and do and be first and win and 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 get the attention. And he says, no, that's not how it works. If you want to think like I think, then you don't you don't elevate yourself. You don't you don't spend time trying to elevate yourself. You spend time trying to abandon yourself. And in that You experience the life of Christ. Now, think about this. In the garden, um, well, let's back up even before that. When Satan was an angel and he was in heaven, the Bible tells us that he desired to be like God, to be God, to be equal with God. In other words, he wanted to grasp, to take hold of equality with God. And when that began to take place, God kicked him out of heaven. That was the result. A little bit later in the garden, Adam and Eve are tempted by the enemy. And what does the enemy tempt them with? He says, if you eat this, then you will be like God. So anytime we we try to replace God, anytime we put ourselves on the throne, anytime we begin to allow our will and our purpose to trump what God wants to do in our life, it will always lead you to dark, dark places when God created the world, God created it out of what? Anybody? Nothing, yeah. The Latin phrase is ex nihilo. As believers in the word of God, we believe that he created out of nothing. He didn't, he didn't gather a few atoms over here and a few molecules over here. And because they existed, he, he created something out of nothing. And so here, here's what we see. Here's what I want you to grasp today. Anytime you make yourself nothing, God can turn you in to something. But anytime you make yourself something, then you step outside of the will of God and the purpose of God and you're on your own there. The blessing of God, the anointing of God is not there. But anytime I've seen this in my own life, anytime I've thought, man, I'm doing all right, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm in control here and I'm going to do this and, and my prayer life is, is absent and I'm going to make de- decisions not based on what God wants, just kind of what I feel like is good and, and I'm going to lead my family. however. When I begin to do that and I begin to make myself some, something, I realize very quickly after that, like, like the blessing of God, where, where is it? And, and, and I'm, I'm looking and I'm, I'm distant from him. But when we humble ourselves, when we kneel before him and we, we realize that when we make ourselves nothing, that's when God creates and does something great in us. Let's continue, verse seven, he made himself nothing. That's what Jesus did. He takes the form of a servant and he is born in the likeness of men. Now the Greek word for servant is doulos and it just simply means a slave, a servant. The literal translation means one who is permanently devoted to the will of another. I love that. So if you want to be a servant of God, it's somebody who is permanently devoted to another. Now, if you're taking notes, this next point is that serving is not just something I do, it's who I am. Serving is not something that I do, it's who I am. Because this is what Jesus did. He he makes himself nothing, Anytime we make ourselves nothing, God makes us something. And and that's what he does with Jesus. And he takes the form of a servant and he's born in the likeness of of man. And, And so he becomes a servant. You know, serving is not just something I do an hour on Sunday morning. It's not just something we do when we come and we put on our little badge and we, you know, greet people or we serve in the, you know, family ministry, whatever. That's not just something that we do an hour, an hour and a half a week. Being a servant is who we are. If we're going to have the mind of Christ, if we're going to think like Jesus thought, then we know I'm not just going to do something nice. I'm not just going to serve. I am a servant. I'm a slave. I am committed to someone and I'm committed to serve them. And so it's not something that I do. It's who I am. And so when I'm at the grocery store and I see, you know, a short person trying to get something off the top shelf, as a 6'4 dude, I don't even have to think about it. I wanna serve them. Let me get that for you. I mean, I'll cross the, the board here. When you're at the grocery store, when you're at work, when you're you know on the ball field, when you're eating lunch this afternoon, you're not gonna serve as an action. That's just who you are. You serve people. You serve people out, out of this heart because you are thinking like Jesus thought. Some of the most important texts in all of the Bible follows this. He's our servant. Verse 8 says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and becoming obedient to the point of death. So here again, here's Jesus becoming obedient even to the point of death. That's how he thought. He thought so highly of God that he would obey him no matter where God led him. He would obey the mission and and serve the kingdom and serve his father to to, to serve the mission and purpose of God was so strong in him. He would be obedient, even if it cost him his life, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. This is is the result because of his, his obedience, because of how he thought and lived and became a servant. Therefore, God exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's what Jesus did. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing. Took the the very nature of a servant and he obeyed his Father even unto death. There are all these reasons that Jesus could have been upset. There are so many reasons that he could look at and say, God, you know, I know this is like your plan, but it shouldn't happen this way. He could have looked at Pilate and said, you know what, this isn't fair. This, is, this isn't how it should go down. You know, I, I've never done anything wrong. You know, he could have looked at the, you know, the, 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 the crown of thorns. He could have looked at the beating that he took. He could have seen all of that and said, that's too much. That's just unnecessary, He could have looked at all of the circumstances of his suffering and said, all right, I'll I'll die, but do I have to do it this way, God? I mean, there were so many circumstances that could have led Jesus to complain, to whine, to back up and say, no, I'm not doing this, but he doesn't. Why is that? Here's how Jesus thought. This is the next point. I'm gonna close with this. He says, here's, here's what I believe. His joy is not based on what happened to him His joy was based on what God was doing in him and through him. And the same must be true for you. Your joy and your happiness cannot be wrapped up in what's happening to you. If that's how you live your life, if that's how you think, then you're always going to be tempted to be critical and negative and unhappy you're never gonna overcome bad habits. You're never gonna experience the life God has for you. You're never going to step into the, the new areas of ministry and the new life that, that, that God wants you to experience because you're allowing your circumstances to determine your joy, your happiness and your decision in life. But as a follower of Christ, if I wanna think like Jesus thought and live like he lived, then, then my circumstances are not gonna determine my joy. What's gonna determine my joy is what God is doing in me and through me. And so when I'm going through a tough situation, maybe maritally or in my family or at work, I'm gonna see that opportunity and step back from that opportunity of, of, of even, however negative it is. I'm gonna say, what is God doing in me and through me through this? God is doing something bigger. There is a bigger story here. Why? Because it's not about me. It's never been about me. It's not about you it's never been about you. Some of you are college students or maybe you're in high school or whatever and you just think it's all about you. You know, your, your, your life and, and, and your happiness. I mean, everything, you know, you think to, to, to get that is, is, is okay. Mom and dad should give you whatever you desire, and whatever you want. Why? Because it's all about you. Maybe you're married and you're married to somebody. It's all about them. And they don't consider others and they don't care about what God is doing. They just want what they want. And so you're living with this person who is so extremely selfish as if the world is revolving around them. It's not about you. Just because you're going through a tough circumstance doesn't mean that God hates you, that God doesn't love you. There's a bigger story taking place. There's a journey here. And whatever you're going through today, the purpose God has behind it is what you're experiencing, what you're figuring out. Because God is doing something in you. He is doing something through you. And I want to embrace this situation and not look at the glass half full. I want to have the mind of Christ and think like he thought so I can live like he lived and, and enjoy the blessing of God as a result. Now I realize that some of you are facing challenges. I realize you walk in today with heavy hearts and, and some things that you, you don't quite understand and and, and, and from your viewpoint, it doesn't look like things are going the way that they should be going. But maybe today you're going to recognize, you know what? Here, here's what I'm going to do. I, I really want to give uh, God the glory and I'm going to think differently. And, and I'm going to think through God's perspective. And I'm not just going to think through my own perspective. I want to see things the way that he sees it. And I want to think like he thinks. And I don't want to be wrapped up in my own perspective. But I want to be able to be a servant like him I wanna be able to understand that my circumstances aren't gonna dictate my joy or my happiness, but I'm gonna give God the glory in my life and I'm gonna be able to serve him and I'm gonna be able to experience him in deeper and more incredible ways than I ever have before. I want to put others first. I wanna put the needs of others before mine. I I wanna put the heart of Jesus before my own life and what I want. Some of you, you know, some of you go through these things and you don't think God loves you. You're you're, you're questioning His love today. Does God really love me? Well, this passage more than any shows that He loves you today. That He loves us so much that that He came into the form of a man as as a servant now, a a servant who, who deserved all glory, He deserved all credit. From, from heaven's throne, he leaves and and he kneels down and he washes the feet of men who would only a, a day or two later reject him and rebel against him and abandon him. And he still serves them. You see, this Jesus loves you. And that's the whole point of, of his coming, that he loves us and and, and when we look at his love and we experience his love, we realize that he did something for us that we could never do on our own. I talk to people all the time about, you know, uh, this decision about following Christ. And, 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 and so often it's like, you know, how, how do you, how you, what do you think it takes to go to heaven? And so often I hear I'm trying to do good and I'm trying to live, you know, my life well and I'm, I'm trying to, to, to do good works and, 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 and this whole concept of, of doing something good. And I'm telling you today, there's nothing that you can do that's going to deserve God's grace in your life. There's nothing that you can do no, no matter how great of a servant you think you are, no matter how much money you give away, no matter how many great things you do in this life, there is not a single act or a compilation of acts that would allow you to deserve heaven today. Only Jesus can provide that. You can't be good enough. You'll never be good enough. The, the way that we experience this relationship, the way that we begin to experience this change in our life is through a relationship with Jesus. And it's through this relationship with Jesus that I begin to take on his attitude, that I begin to take on his mind. And as I take on his mind, I, I slowly but surely begin to live like him. And as I begin to live like him, I experience more and more the grace of God. I think more and more like him and, and I experience the blessing of God as a result. And for some of you today, you would say that I've never experienced that. I've never experienced that life-transforming decision of, of saying yes to Jesus. I've been trying to do good, and, and doing good has never led me to a place to where I feel at peace with God. I'm trying to do you know good things by coming to church and being a part of different groups and, and you know, talking nicely to people. But, but that doesn't get you anywhere with God it's a relationship with Jesus it's you simply saying you know what i'm a sinner i need you in my life i want to dedicate my life to you i want to serve you and follow you and, and and it's that decision it's that prayer that the spirit of god comes to live within us and begins to change us and and sometimes things change instantly and sometimes it takes days and weeks and and God slowly chips away at us as he conforms us to the image of his son but it all transpires through our minds and how we think and so today before you leave if you've never accepted Christ man I want to encourage you uh, there's a room that we call the prayer and care room as soon as you walk out these back doors it's to your left and we'll have some counselors in there and they want to spend some time with you if you need to accept Christ today if you want to make that decision to say yes to him and to follow him I encourage you to go there and and, and, and just say, simply say, I, I need to receive Jesus. I, w- I wanna receive Jesus and they'll pray with you. They'll talk with you. They'll encourage you to make that decision. It's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. And in fact, you'll never think like Jesus thought until that decision is made. It's an impossibility. It's, it's, it's an, it, it, is, it is nowhere near possible to begin to live like Jesus lived without the spirit of God within us. So today what I wanna do as we close is I wanna I want take the Lord's Supper and, and really just uh, culminate everything that we've talked about uh, together at, at this time as we, as we focus on the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And the scripture teaches us to take the Lord's Supper. It never says how often um, or how many times that we should do that. At, at Foothills, we do it about every four to six weeks. And so uh, we do that and, and they're gonna pass out in just a minute uh, the bread and the juice and the bread represents the broken body of Jesus. Uh, the juice represents the, the blood that was poured out for us and, and, and for the forgiveness of our sins. And so uh, this, um, um, what, what we're about to do before you guys come down, I got a little bit more. So just kind of chill. Just <clears throat> because I'm talking about it doesn't mean we're doing it. Um, so this, well, well, the people that should do this are those who have accepted Christ. So if you've got small kids in here, maybe they've never accepted Christ. Uh, we should have that conversation later with them. Um, this is for believers who have already accepted Christ. And, and so what we're celebrating is what we've, what we've received and the grace of God that is in us. And so um, when we take the bread, we're, we're remembering his broken body. When we drink the juice, we're remembering the sacrifice, the, the spilled blood um, for the forgiveness of our sins. And so the scripture teaches us to, to pray. And if there's sin in our life before we take this bread and this juice, then we should confess that sin we should spend some time reconciling some of those things in our life with the Spirit of God and, and spend that time in prayer. And so as they pass in just a moment, um, we're going to give you an opportunity to, to pray. Um, they're going to give you um, the, the elements and, and you take them on your own whenever you're ready to do so. And uh, the band is going to come and sing a song that is a perfect song to close everything that we've talked about. I love this song uh, because it teaches us exactly where we've been. We've been talking about scripture that teach us to set our minds on the things of God, to set our minds on the spirit, uh, to set our minds on eternal things, to, to take our thoughts captive and to set our minds on our identity in Christ. And our identity in Christ is that we are children of God. As a follower of Jesus, I'm a child of God. That means I'm chosen. That means he's made me holy Even though I act unholy, God sees me as holy. It's incredible. I I inherit the promises of God. All the promises of God's word, I inherit. I get because I'm a child of God and you receive because you're a child of God. We're enemies of God before that, but when we experience his grace, now we are his children. That means that if I'm insecure, if I'm fearful, I'm not acting the way that Christ has created me to act. Those are old ways. When I'm I'm experiencing shame and guilt, those are things that that I embraced before I'm a believer. But, But now that I'm a believer, he's freed me of sin. He's freed me of fear. And he's called me not to fall back into a slavery of fear, but to continually embrace my identity in Christ as a conquering Warrior for Jesus. It means I can overcome any sin in my life. He can he can begin to give me freedom in that. Romans 8, 14 and 16 says it best. He says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So if the Spirit of God was is, is within us today, we are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. He is our father now as a child of God. And, And so folks don't fall back into a spirit of slavery, being a slave to whatever sin is in your life, being a slave to mental habits that lead you to critical and negative attitudes, but have the mind of Christ and embrace this new spirit. Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And man, that should give us energy today. We we shouldn't like hunker over in, in, in an insecure, like shoulders hunched and I'm a loser. No, I'm a child of God. So I wanna stand tall, shoulders back, head up because tomorrow is a new day. It's a brighter day and God has something for me. And I wanna embrace that newness. I wanna embrace his purpose and his calling in my life. And when I embrace his purpose and calling, it's it's not because I'm trying to elevate myself. I'm not elevating myself, I'm abandoning myself. And the more I abandon myself, the more I embrace him and the more I know him and the more I love him and the more blessing I experience. And so we wanna celebrate that today. We wanna celebrate the fact that God is changing us And so we we take the Lord's Supper to to celebrate the change that he's made in us. And no, we're not who we want to be, but praise God, we're not who we used to be. And you can lock me up, but you can't shut me up because Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. I want to serve him today. And I want my life to be obedient and bring him honor. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foodlesschurch.com.